and welcome to another edition of Lights, Camera, Sports. I'm your host, Mike Galtieri. So happy to have you on board, which should be very exciting. A couple minutes here with ESPN's Jeff Goodman. The calendar is set March 1st, and Jeff's nice enough to give us a couple times as we truly enter March Madness in college basketball. Jeff, thanks so much for joining us here on Lights, Camera, Sports. Thanks for having me, Mike. Appreciate it. Uh, it was good seeing you a few weeks back, and uh, glad to be on. That's right. That the, the BC North Carolina game. It's been the BC still hasn't won since that day. I know it's so sad. So sad. It's like 12 straight, and uh, uh, they're struggling. I'm not sure it gets much better. So uh, let, let's quickly let's back up, Jeff. I'd like to hear about your story. It's a very interesting story. I love hearing about it. You grew up in Framingham, Mass, just outside of Boston. Did you always like college basketball growing up, and did you play basketball? You know, I, I did like it. It was kind of the old Big East when I was growing up, and my dad used to take me to, to BC games when they were playing in the Garden against some of the really good teams, you know, Georgetown, St. John's, when they had Patrick Ewing, and St. John's and Chris Mullen, and, uh, you know, Syracuse had the Pearls. So that's kind of where I fell in love with college basketball. But I, I was just a diehard sports fan, you know, no different than anybody else. Uh, I guess the biggest difference was I knew I wasn't going to be a, uh, a pro athlete. So at the age of, you know, 13, 14 years old, I was trying to interview uh, the pro athletes. And the first one I think I ever interviewed was James Worthy and Michael Cooper, who were playing with the Lakers. And, and my voice hadn't even changed at that point. You know, I literally, I think I was 13 years old. And that was an interesting story. I was reading about that. You actually went to their hotel, right, and asked if you could interview them. Yep. And you went back to your house and interviewed it on your answering machine. I did, I did. It was kind of crazy, and and uh, that kind of started it for me. And then just started trying to interview the best players, and uh, whenever teams would come in, uh, try to call the hotel and and do interviews with them. And and a lot of times, it, it wasn't even an interview for anything. You know, I would say it was for a high school newspaper, but it never got in a high school newspaper. I was just doing it uh, really to get better at that point, because I enjoyed it. And then talk about, if you went from Framingham, you decided to go to Arizona. Was there a reason, a good college basketball program out there, or did you just want the warm weather? Yeah, it was it was weather, uh, basketball, and girls. <laughs> in whatever order you want to put them in, it was those three. And, and really, it was trying something different. You know, I've been in Boston my whole life, and just figured, why not try something different? Uh, and, and really didn't regret it. It was, it was fun to be on the West Coast. I don't think I, I'd ever live in Tucson, Arizona. Uh, was but it too, too hot for you? I said, yeah, well, every winter I say to myself, I'd love to be in Tucson right now because, uh, as you know, I mean, these winters, and they've been mild the last couple, but they still, you know, they're yeah. still not good. Yeah, no, no question about it. So you went, you graduated in 94 from Arizona. Those are some pretty good Lute Olsen teams. Did you get to know him at all when you are yeah. undergrad? A little bit, like a tiny bit, did a couple stories where I had to talk to him, but uh, not really. And then, you know, it was funny, one of the highlights of my kind of career was the fact that I was a recruiting guy, and, and we'll probably fast forward and maybe circle back a little bit, but I was doing basketball recruiting, and I was on the road at a tournament in, uh, in Vegas uh, every year in July. I've gone, and Josh Pastner, the assistant coach at the time with Arizona, asked me, he said, hey, can you – do me a favor, you know, can you drive? i got to go to a different gym. Can you drive Coach Olsen uh, over to the, to another gym? And I said, sure, absolutely. So, you know, he gets in my car, we're driving, and, and Lute Olsen says, you know, let's go for lunch. I know this really good Italian spot up in the hills of Vegas. Uh, let's go grab lunch instead of going to a game. So we did that, and I just remember 
it being so surreal because I was probably, I don't know, I was probably in my late 20s at that point and maybe, you know, six, seven years removed from never really being able to, like I told you, not being able to really have access to him more than um, in a post-game setting or something like that to then having lunch with him. It was pretty surreal. Yeah, that's a, that's a good story. Came full circle. So talk about after college, uh, you got involved, looked like the Associated Press, and then Scout.com? Yeah, and first, really, it was public relations. I did PR in, in Boston, right outside of Boston in Newton, uh, for a guy named Ron Trahan. Did that for a couple of years. Uh, then hooked on with the – I was doing freelance with the AP. Then uh, took a shot on a part-time six-month AP gig in Buffalo with no – there was nothing that said I was going to get anything beyond that. There were, you know, nothing, uh, nothing set in stone or anything like that. And I rolled the dice, uh, covered the Bills and the Sabers. It turned into a. Uh, then I, I was sent out to New York City to the national office. Uh, was there about a year. Then went to a company in Boston called School Sports, a startup website at that time. And that's kind of how I got into recruiting. Was it was all the high school stuff. And I almost fell into a story, a kid named Richard McCants, yes. who went to uh, North Carolina. He committed to North Carolina. I happened to call him on the right night and, and was talking to him. And he said, oh, you know, by the way, I just committed to Carolina. So I wrote it up. It blew up because the Carolina fan base is insane. And that was kind of my first taste of breaking news. And I'm like, all right, this is pretty fun. I like this. Maybe I can, uh, maybe I can do this a little bit more. So uh, did school sports. Um, and then uh, they folded, and, and I ended up getting in basketball recruiting with a, a company called Scout.com. Did that for a few years, just basketball recruiting. Then Fox bought Scout, and I begged my boss at the time. Uh, I begged the guy at Fox who was doing college basketball, uh, he was a managing editor there, to let me write one column a week for $50 a week to cover college basketball. So I did that for a couple of years. Covered both recruiting full time and college full time. Did that I think in 2006 and seven, and then did just full time after that full time college basketball for Fox uh, for a few years. I went to CBS college basketball, and then I've been at ESPN for about three and a half years now. Wow! So we just yeah, you just we went through the whole thing right there. No, I remember those days 06, 07, because you used to come by Conti Form a lot uh, when I was yep, a student a manager lot. for Al Skinner. And, uh, you know, those are some good teams. So probably help that was right in your backyard. They were really good teams. And it's funny, I, you know, I've been critical of Al to some extent um, because I didn't think he, he grinded it like some others. And I thought the program was on the downturn the last couple of years before they let him go. Uh, but, but you certainly now, when you see what's happened over the last, whatever it is, however many years he's been gone, it's got to be about eight, eight years or so, um, you know what, where the program's gone, and and you you, you appreciate, and I re, I always respected Al. I thought he was a hell of a coach and a really good guy. I just felt like it was starting to go in the wrong direction. Uh, the two of the last three years he was there, they were under five hundred. So, um, you know, again, those BC teams, yeah, you appreciate them a little bit more now because you know they were really good, and and every time you came into Boston College and Connie Forum. You at least were going to see a competitive game. Yes, you know, and let's just talk about BC while we're on it too. What what made you think? Why do you think Gene DeFilippo decided to go with uh, Donahue and you know get rid of Skinner? Was there a, a particular moment? Or you thought, as you said, it was just the trending in the wrong direction. 
Well, I think it was trending, and they were polar opposites. You know, Gene Filippo was a salesman, the ultimate salesman, right? And and Al is he, he doesn't. That's not him. He's not going to go out and sell the program. In fact, he's probably going to be too honest with recruits, and and that can you know that hurt him with recruits a little bit. And he's not going out to the boosters. You know, the times have changed, and it's hard to just be a ball coach anymore. You need to do a little bit more. And I think Gene DiFilippo felt like at Boston College, you need to do a little bit more about promoting the program and going out and connecting with the people, the boosters, and, and everybody else. And then fast forward to Steve Donahue. What happened there? That, that seemed like it was a, uh, it, I don't know how to term it, it, it does, in a way a disaster, but it seemed like the Ivy League didn't translate that method to the ACC basketball. No, you're absolutely right. Listen, I remember sitting down with him. After he got the job, we sat down at, I don't know if you know this place, Cabot's, right in Newton? Yes, yes. Good spot. We had lunch there shortly after he got the job, and we are talking about a kid, Caleb Tarzuski, who ended up playing four years at Arizona, having a really good career. He was from New Hampshire, played at St. Mark's in Southboro. And, and I was asking him about him, about recruiting him, and he said, well, he's just, you know, he's not really our type of player. He doesn't really fit in our system. And it was at that moment I was like, all right, this guy's in trouble because uh, you change your system for a guy like that, a seven-footer who can rebound, a really good player, would have helped the program uh, immensely, not just by himself, but also attracting other players uh, that were behind him. So, you know, the the bottom line was Donahue was recruiting too many Ivy League-type players in the ACC, which just doesn't work. That doesn't translate. Yeah, you're right. What's the deal now with Jim Christian? You think it's going the right way? Do you think no, uh, no, no? Yeah, what's that, what's your again, a behind a the scenes look? Like, yeah, just he's got a couple good guards. You know, I mean, they are they're good, they're they're really good, but ultimately, uh, I don't think it's enough. They've got nothing up front. Um, you know, they've lost whatever it's been ten, twelve in a row right now. Uh, they were competitive for a while, but ultimately, uh, you need to bring in somebody that's going to upgrade the talent overall. Uh, and, and bring in bring some real excitement to this Boston College program. I, I really thought Brad Bates, who lost his job, the AD, because of, of the hires, football and basketball, uh, he was forced out recently. I thought he should have taken, taken a run at, at Mike Hopkins, who's the coach in waiting at Syracuse, who I think would have taken the BC job when Jim Christian took it. And do you think he will, be, in fact, take over at Syracuse too when Beheim does eventually? eventually. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, now you're talking a couple of years. You know, Bayham said he, he's – I talked to him the other night, and he, he's not um, – it's not backtracking. He's just – you know, he said a while ago that he was going to be done after next year, and now he's saying, like, I'm not sure right now. I could retire after this year. I could retire after next year. I just don't know. Yeah. Uh, so it'll be interesting. He was telling me about his youngest son. His oldest son just committed to Cornell. Youngest son he feels like has a chance to maybe – play at Syracuse so you wonder if if the youngest son gets better will Jim want to coach it you know coach him at Syracuse and will he try to stick around a little bit longer yeah wow that's interesting that's an interesting story up there uh just going back to BC do you think do you think I talk a lot of fans locally here and they someone always just conceded saying they'll never be good in the ACC again do you think there's a chance of the right coach and uh uh new facilities that they could be back yeah, I mean, the question is the commitment. You know, Al Skinner and Bill Cohn and Ed Cooley and Pat Duquette, I mean, they hit it. They, 
they got some good players that people didn't really want. You know, the Jared Dudleys and the Craig Smiths and the Reggie Jacksons and Tyrese Rice. A lot of good players that other guys didn't want. You know, you you got to be able to do that and really evaluate. But I do think you need you need to make a commitment if you're BC to basketball. You know, right now it's clearly the third sport in the pecking order uh, at BC. That's fine. Uh, but you look at some of the facilities and, you know, how they have to share the, the, the practice gym and, and things of that nature. Um, you know, there are people that will come out. I mean, they will. We saw it under the Al Skinner regime. It wasn't like they came out for every game. But they'll come out for the ACC games if you're good enough. And, Jeff, now let's shift gears to UConn, right down I-84. I was there against SMU on Saturday. And uh, to be honest with you, that was a game that really just wasn't uh, really even close, to be honest with you. It was, uh, the score was closer than the game was. I don't know if you caught that. But what, what's going on down 84 in stores with UConn? Well, here, here's all you need to know is I have not been to a UK, UConn game this year. And that just shows they're irrelevant nationally. And this is going to be two out of four years unless they win the, the conference tournament, which they could because it's in their backyard, right? So they could – they could end up winning it. I don't see it happening, personally. I think SMU and Cincy are clearly better. Um, but let's say they don't go again to the NCAA tournament. That's two of the last four years. Uh, Kevin Ollie did a great job the first year with Shabazz Napier, and, and you got to give Napier a lot of credit, uh, and you got to give the, 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 the staff of, of you know putting together that team. Since that point, let's say, like, like UConn hasn't been to UConn standards period. And, and again, I love Kevin Ollie as a guy. He's a great, great guy. Um, but ultimately it's kind of like Georgetown right now. Now UConn's done more. I don't want to compare him, but you know, you, 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 you have a certain standard. UConn's the only team I believe in the last like 18 years to win four national titles. Uh, they shouldn't be going every other year to the NCAA tournament. I mean, that's especially not in this league, the American. They should be rolling through the American uh, based on their track record and history. So it's shocking to me where this program is right now. But, however, having said all that, when they get Altariq Gilbert healthy next year, if he gets healthy, and Terry Larrier comes back, and Jalen Adams is a junior, and they add a couple more pieces – they should be really good. They should. I mean, people should be able to forget about all this, but um, you look over at, like, Indiana, and Indiana's got talent this year, and Tom Cream hasn't done anything with it. They're, they're probably not going to the tournament again this year. Wait, so you wait, never know. Wait, just taking a look at the UConn, what do you think happened? Why, why do you think it's gone downhill? Obviously, you have injuries this year, but uh, before injuries, this is this Ollie co- coaching hire has been trending down really since the national championship. What's your whole take on that? Yeah, I mean, when I talk to people in the industry, they, they feel like Kevin Ollie is a pretty mediocre X's and O's guy. Um, good recruiter, uh, but ultimately took some kids. That, you know, Daniel Hamilton wasn't necessarily a winning player. Uh, Rodney Purvis, same thing. You kind of worry about him when he transferred out of NC State. Um, and I love I love Jalen Adams, and I love Altariq Gilbert. So I'm hoping it kind of changes with those guys when they're the, the cornerstone of this program, hopefully next year. And the big guys just, they haven't developed. I mean, nobody's developed really as a big. Like, Bama's regressed. You know, Kenton Facey didn't get much better. He got a little bit better this year, but not much better. So I, I think the, the combination of, uh, you know, the bigs just really not being a factor at all this year and, and really for the last few. 
you know what it is amazing though, even in the American Conference, as you mentioned earlier, Kevin Ollie seems to be like a great recruiter. I mean, Jalen Adams got him from Roxbury. Uh, we'll yep. talk about his respect and the, the, how other coaches view him as, as a recruiter because he's working with the American Conference now, not in not a Power Five conference. Yeah, I mean, it, listen, you know he can recruit. I mean, that's not the issue, really. I mean, UConn still got the brand, um, and and he's really good with with people. Um, but again, it's 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 more than just that. You want to start with getting talent, but you've got to do something with that talent too, and. You know, I get it. The injuries this year, could they have gotten better? Absolutely. I mean, but they lost the first two games to Northwestern, I mean, Northeastern and Wagner at home. So you could say what you want about the injuries, and, and maybe the team would have progressed, but they certainly didn't get off to a rearing start uh, with everybody healthy. Joined by Jeff Goodman from ESPN. A couple minutes. Thanks so much for joining us. Talk a little UConn, a little BC. Any other New England school, Jeff, as we head into March Madness here? has a chance to make the run at the NCAA tournament? Yeah, I mean, I think Harvard can. I mean, right now Princeton's the heavy favorite in the Ivy League, but they've got a, a, an Ivy League uh, postseason tournament for the first time, and not everybody's going to be involved. I think there's only four teams in it this year. Uh, but Harvard, they, they've got a lot of youth, and they're going to be really good again. It may take another year. They may not be quite there this year, uh, but I think if you watch Harvard, they're going to be back to the Harvard we kind of knew for the last few years that was rolling through the Ivy. Um, you know, uh, I'm trying to think who else. Providence has done a great job. I mean, look at Ed Cooley. They, they got a shot to go to the tournament again in a major rebuilding year after losing Chris Dunn and Ben Bentel. So uh, you got to give Cooley a lot of credit. He's found a way to keep that program relevant, and, and that hasn't been that easy to do. What about UMass? What's going on with them? Uh, Zach Lewis, I heard, yeah. had a big game the other day. Yeah, I don't know what's going to happen, Mike. I mean, listen, there's some chatter that, that Derek Kellogg could be out after this year. I don't think it's going to happen. I think they're going to give him another year, and they'd have to pay him some, some good money. Plus, he's got a couple really, really good young players. So I would give him one more year and see if he can kind of make a jump back to the upper half of, of the A-10 uh, next year. And let's face it, at a place like UMass, if you can go to the NCAA tournament one out of every three years, you're doing well. Now, he hasn't done that, maybe even four years. You're doing well. Go to a couple NITs. Uh, you just can't have too many seasons like he's having right now. Yeah, no question about it. Now, Jeff Goodman, ESPN. Jeff, we've seen you. Know, this is your busy time, March Madness. Let our listeners know, what's your schedule like next couple of weeks? You, you talked to me earlier. You said you were gone for a full month. Yeah, I think Saturday starts a, a run here where pretty much I'm on the road. Uh, 27 of 30 days, something like that. And I'll start out in Vegas at the WCC tournament um, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, and then take a red eye to New York City, uh, land early Wednesday morning, uh, go to the ACC and the Big East tournament on Wednesday. I'll kind of split between both. Uh, the ACC is in Brooklyn. Uh, Big East is in the Garden. Uh, Thursday I'll probably spend the whole time at the ACC. Then I'll kind of pick and choose what I want to do Friday, Saturday. And then I think Saturday I'll probably end up flying out somewhere to be with a team. I'm hoping maybe a Northwestern uh, on Sunday, maybe in Chicago, and spend the day with them. I haven't gotten that nailed down, but that's my hope. And then uh, maybe staying with them Monday, and then I probably fly directly to another site uh, on Tuesday. I'm not sure I'll be able to come home. Usually I come home for a day in between each I don't know how, it, you know, you just never know. Like last year, 
I remember after the, uh, the Elite Eight, I was in Bristol at ESPN, and I had the idea to go to the Bahamas and do a piece on where Buddy Heal grew up from once Oklahoma got to the Final Four. So I remember I drove home from Bristol. It's about two and a half hours to literally grab my passport um, to head to the airport, stay overnight, caught a flight to the Bahamas, was in the Bahamas Monday afternoon, all day Tuesday, and then flew from the Bahamas straight to the Final Four last year. So you just don't know. And the hardest part is not seeing my family by far. So my wife and daughter hopefully are going to come to New York for a day or two to see me uh, at the the ACC Big Big East, and I'll try to steal some time during the day because those games on Friday and Saturday are, are at night. So, um, you know, the hard part is I can't even go to a show, Mike. Like, I want to go to, a, like, a play with them. <laughs> but But I can't because if something breaks and I'm in the theater, my phone's got to be off. I mean, like, like you know, I can't really keep my phone on. So yeah, yeah. it's I feel so bad. Like, this, I'm limited in what what I can do. I get my phone attached to me the entire month. And, uh, you know, on one hand, I love it. On the other hand, I, there, there are plenty of times when I'm ready for it to end. Well, at least the good thing is Broadway's not going anywhere. So you can do it in May, That's June, right. July. You know, that, this, exactly. is, this is your exactly. time. This is your Super Bowl. How do you like the TV? I know you grew up as a writer. How are you liking adjusting? Well, has it been an adjustment uh, switching oh, over big. to sideline reporting, TV, doing that that part of it? Huge, huge adjustment. I mean, I had very minimal TV experience before I came aboard, and the hardest one was sideline by far. Like going on Sports Center isn't really that hard because you know you're just talking to somebody else, and you've got to be short, which generally I am. I don't. I'm not long winded generally. I probably am in this conversation, but uh, normally I'm not. You know, it's the sideline reporting that's really hard. And and number one, because you have like 20 seconds and you're trying to, as a reporter, you've got all this information that you want to get in and you try to jam it into 20 seconds. And I've learned over the years, you, you just have to one topic, one thing for 20 seconds, and you're not going to look like you're that smart because you're not going to be able to use your depth of knowledge. But that's how you have to do it. And I've just become more comfortable now. I think period on TV in my fourth year, it's just like if I screw up, I don't, I don't care anymore. It, it really used to bother me uh, if I'd say a word wrong, stumble on a word, whatever. Uh, now, generally, I just I don't care. And now you you know you're you're I saw you and you're doing NBA. I saw you the NBA All Star game. You're you're branching out from college basketball. You got it all covered. NBA draft down the road. Is there a particular area that you like the best, Jeff? To cover? It's still college. It's I love it all. I, I do. I love going back and doing high school and AAU stuff. I do high school in January at the, the Hall of Fame tournament. I do AAU at the PTM in, in Las Vegas. Uh, I love seeing kids at that level. I think they're more uh, pure at that level uh, than they are sometimes. And, and you know, they, they actually want to talk to you. Um, where in the NBA, they just they want nothing to do with me. Yeah, uh, sure. some of them do because I've had a relationship with them for years, but a lot of them really don't. And uh, so I like all levels of it because I think it gives me an advantage to having seen these kids and known them. You know, like I think I did the first story ever on Kevin Durant when he was 14 years old. So it gives me, you know, when he sees me, it, it, it he's got a familiarity with me, uh, a trust that I think helps me uh, when I when I start doing some NBA stuff. But I love college. I don't. I don't want to give up any of it. It's just, you know, can I do it all? I, I think so. I don't know if I can do it all at a high enough level. That's, that's the bigger question. 
Yeah, no question about it. And you had me thinking when you were talking about AU. What's the is this got to be a crazy recruiting story you've heard over the years? Is there one you could just talk about or remember um, that you know struck you? It was just like out of the world, like two a.m. Maybe any crazy recruiting story you you heard? No, I mean I used to get calls. You know when I when I covered the two years that I covered recruiting full time and um, college full time, which were oh six and oh seven, like the 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 the, the seasons. Uh, go completely against each other. So when recruiting's in full tilt, college is slower and vice versa. So my phone would ring, and my wife, Josh Passner, would call. He was then the coach. He was an assistant probably then at Arizona. Um, he would call at like 1 in the morning, like all the time. <laughs> and my wife would just be like, you got to be kidding me. Uh, I would talk to Paul Hewitt, the coach then at Georgia Tech, you know, two or three times a day. My wife would be referring to him as my girlfriend. I mean, it was just, yeah, it was it was insane just the amount of time. I don't know how she dealt with it. It still deals with it. But it was a lot worse. I don't know how I did both then. And my daughter was young. Yeah, and you're, you had to balance it all out. Is there a favorite coach that you've liked to deal with over the years or you have the most back and forth with? I mean, there's a lot. There, honestly, like, that's what it's all about is the relationships, right? And people say, well, you know, you you you're biased. I'm I'm not biased to anybody. I'm biased based on the information that I've gathered over the years. That yeah, I'm not going to be sitting there, um, you know, saying all great things about guys that I believe are cheaters, um, but I can't catch. You know, everybody says, well, if he's cheating, and you say, gee, why can't you get him? Well, these guys are good at what they do. They're good cheaters, and I'm not moving to certain places for two months out of my life to try to track down a, uh, and get a cheater uh, and leave my family. It's just not going to happen at this stage of my life. When I was 25, I might have done it. Um, so it, it, it's an interesting job for those reasons. I'm trying to think of, you know, Chris Mack's a guy that I can go back and forth with a lot. Um, we actually, when, when he came to Providence recently, they played. Uh, we've got a, a Miss Pac-Man kind of battle going on, and he's got one in his house. And there's one at the Providence Place uh, Mall, and it's in Dave and Buster's as you first walk in. <laughs> and it's a machine that goes pretty slow. It's not like the, the, the Miss Pac-Man machine. It goes a little bit slow. So he's better than me. I, I don't want to say that publicly, but it's true. But my record against him is 3-3 three and three career. And on a neutral court, I'm actually uh, beating him. I think I'm 2-1. and one. <laughs> So uh, I give him crap about that all the time. <laughs> that's well that's a good story and last question jeff what do you do outside of basketball what's your interest to you on your day off what's what yeah. are you trying to do for fun i'll take i'll take my dog to the beach you know we live in newburyport now we moved here right before i joined espn uh from framingham and we're about five minutes away from uh from salisbury beach in plum island so even on a day like today it's 65 degrees like I'm thinking the problem is low tide is until later, so I can't really take her over there. But, um, you know, love doing that. Just walking downtown, Newburyport is a great, great area. Uh, go to the theater. Um, I coached. I helped coach my daughter this year. All of a sudden, she's not an athlete, never had any interest in basketball. All of a sudden this year she wanted to play because her friend was. So I coached her as much as I could, and uh, they lost last night in the playoffs. So it's it, I hope she plays another year. I don't know if she will or not, but I had a blast coaching her and, and some of the girls on her team. 
Well, that's great, Jeff. In the end, that's really all that matters, right? All the college basketball for in your life, that's the end game. It's the balance. It's the balance, and that's the, the most difficult part. I think everybody would say that, though, you know, when you're trying to get your career on track, you know, and trying to provide, and, and you love what you do, and also balancing your family. And it's it's hard to do when you have a job like I do that, that, that entails as much travel and time and whatnot. So it's, uh, yeah, am I the best father or husband? Probably could be better. You know, probably could be. And trying to get better every every day, every year if I can. Well, Jeff, thanks so much for joining us, talking New England College Hoops, your career, a little behind the scenes. And uh, we really appreciate you taking time out for Lights, Camera, Sports. Thanks, Mike. Appreciate it. All right. Take care. And thanks so much for listening to the Lights, Camera, Sports podcast. This is Mike Galtieri. Remember, you can subscribe to the Lights, Camera, Sports podcast on iTunes. Also listen to us on SoundCloud as well. Once again, thanks to Jeff Goodman of ESPN for taking the time out to join us on the podcast. And we'll see you again later on the Lights, Camera, Sports podcast. This is Mike Galtieri signing off.